Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 397 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. We are here to talk about the big day. Saturday, Duke playing UNC, and as crazy as it sounds, folks, I, and I, this has never happened, <laughs> Duke versus UNC isn't the big story from the game. The big story, of course, is that Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, will be well, he's already sort of called it quits. It will be his final game in Cameron Indoor Stadium. And the whole world, the entire sporting world, the college basketball world, of course, will be focused on Cameron Indoor Stadium to bid farewell to some extent. Obviously, there's an ACC tournament and an NCAA tournament still to come, but to bid farewell to the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, like I said, I'm Jason. I am joined, as I almost always am, by my partners, Donald and Sam, on this podcast. Donald, how are you feeling this morning as we uh, prepare to tell folks about what to expect on Saturday? I'm going to borrow a word from uh, Jeff Capel from his press conference the other night. It's all surreal. All of this is surreal to me uh, that we're at this moment. We've been talking about it for the better part of what, like eight, nine months now, uh, but it's still surreal to be at this point. Sam, how are you doing? I know you are unfortunately the one member of the podcast who's not going to be able to make it there on Saturday. I'm bummed yeah. for you. It's uh, I'm I'm it's okay. I'm going to I'm going to be enjoying it on television, and it is it's going to be it's going to be pretty weird. Um, it feels like we've been we've been waiting for this weekend for close to a year now, and thinking about what what this last game is going to look like. I don't, you know, sort of. I know we're going to get into the preview, but I don't think we expected that that this game would, you know, at least in in before before we get in there that it feels like sort of a foregone conclusion that Duke is going to win. And I don't, I don't want the team to, to be feeling that way. Although uh, Jason, as we, as I know, we are going to discuss today, the ESPN cover story that came out yesterday about coach K tells me that some, I get the feeling that the players will be ready for this game and that they're not going to, 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 to take this moment lightly. Oh boy. Yeah. And yes, we're going to get into that amazing story. I, I mean, I must have had I must have had 10 different people say to me, oh, my God, you've got to read this story, uh, you know, at the same time as I was telling 10 to 20 other people, oh, my God, you have to read this story. It's really a, a fascinating article. We'll be discussing that in just a little bit. But I want to start, guys. Sam, you kind of alluded to it. There is business to take care of. And that is a game against the North Carolina Tar Heels. Duke um, has now won the ACC title outright for the first time since 2006. Notre Dame lost yesterday. That means even if the unthinkable happens and Duke falls to Carolina on Saturday, the Blue Devils are still ACC regular season champs. Again, first outright ACC title since 2006. Uh, Jeff Goodman on Twitter pointed out that the last time Duke did this, Greg Paulus was a freshman on the team. I mean, wow, come on. That was a while ago. Mark Williams. Last time, Jason, yeah. the last time this happened, Sam Klein was in high school. Mm. There you go. There yeah. you go. Mark, Mark <laughs> Williams, by the way, tweeted his tweet just said one of three, you know, one slash three. The team has now accomplished one of three goals they had this year. They've won the ACC regular season title. I can bet you that the other two goals are an ACC tournament title and cutting down the nets in New Orleans for an NCAA tournament title. And uh, every single one of those things seems entirely achievable for this club. But guys, let's let's get into the contest against UNC uh, because we want to talk a little bit about the Tar Heels and then we're going to get to all the festivities, all the other 
craziness surrounding this game. Carolina, since they lost to Duke, is six and one. The only game they lost was that just crazy game against Pittsburgh. But it's worth noting that six and one record. We've talked a lot about the ACC is is kind of weak. They've compiled that against what you would have to consider largely the bottom tier of of the conference. Um, they don't have any wins during that six and one stretch against Wake Forest, Miami, Notre Dame, Virginia. They they did get a road win against Virginia Tech. Nothing to sneeze at. That's that's a good win. That shows that the, these Tar Heels are a good team. But but it's not like they put up this six and one record against a bunch of world beaters. And I, this game really matters to UNC. They are firmly on the bubble. If you look at bracket matrix. Uh, which is a compilation of a whole bunch of different people projecting the the NCAA tournament bracket. North Carolina is down there as an 11 seed. They're they're one of the last teams getting in the field. And and in fact, some of the folks on Bracket Matrix right now think UNC is not in the field. Uh, A loss to Duke, though forgivable, most assuredly forgivable from from the standpoint of, you know, what would be expected from Carolina. A, A loss could still knock Carolina down a couple spots on the on the seating line and they are at a point where if you get knocked down a couple spots you might get knocked out of the field so Donald let me come to you first you know what are you expecting from Carolina what have you seen from Carolina lately what do we need to be thinking about for this game that the heels really need to win so to back up a little bit like you mentioned since we beat them uh earlier this in in February they're six and one. They're 22 and eight overall, 14 and five in the ACC. And again, you mentioned that one loss being at home to Pitt by nine, which was kind of a shock. Again, one of the big shocks in uh, the ACC this season. But they've been off since last Saturday. So they've had a chance to recover and rest. They had that overtime victory last Saturday against Syracuse at home, which was also another wild game. They played a lot of those lately, Jason. Hey, hey uh, Donald, a lot sorry, of these games. Just, just really quick, they, they played Syracuse on Monday. Oh, excuse me. Monday. Yes. Yes. The 28th. Um, but, but you're right. It's been a long break. <laughs> they've had a they've had a break. Yeah, you know, I guess another day uh, from us. But here's a couple of things that I need people to realize about UNC. Of course, the rebounding is always there. It's been there. We know we need to be fiscal and we need to be able to rebound. You know, if, if we can hold them to 50 uh, 50 when it comes to rebounds, then I think we're having a good day, especially on the offensive end, because that's where they like to get a lot of their second chance opportunities and third chance opportunities. Since we lost, since we beat them back in February, the one thing about UNC is that they've been turning the ball over a lot. Uh, Syracuse is the only game where they had fewer than 13 turnovers. Let me repeat that. That is the only game where they had fewer than 13 turnovers in a game. Here is what they've been doing since Duke. 14 turnovers, 16, 13, 15, 13, 16, and then again on Monday, eight. So, they're not taking care of the basketball. And because and, of that, and by, by the way, we've noted Syracuse is not a team that makes you turn the ball over. That's not their, that's not their defensive game plan. So right. yeah, even eight against Syracuse, isn't like a great number. Right. And, and it's not like, I mean, they're forcing turnovers either there. I mean, most of these teams are in the, you know, maybe low teens, but most of them are under 10 when it comes to the turnovers that are being forced by UNC. So yes, we need to take care of the basketball take the ball away from them and use those opportunities. But here's the big thing, guys. This is a – everyone's calling this game unprecedented, and there's good reason for that. Our players, I think, are going to be ready, and I think they need to shine under the biggest stage that they'll ever be on in college. This – I mean, 
for all intents and purposes, this is the biggest game that they could ever experience. It's the most important game for every Duke fan right now. Until we, you know, until this whole season's done, we're going to look back at this game. And I think there's a tendency for someone in that big moment to kind of get nervous or just want to be so energized that they overthink things or they, you know, just have that bound of energy that they can't control. These guys need to embrace the moment, but they also need to remain within themselves. They got this far by being themselves. There's no need for them to be super scion or, or just, you know, super versions of themselves against UNC. Be Duke. Play like Duke in front of Cameron, in front of these, in front of these fans. You know, all 208 of Coach K's former players that are coming back for this game. Let them embrace that moment and be the energy that they need. So for Duke, we need to be able to remain with the control, take care of the basketball, rebound. If we can do that, Saturday is going to be a really, really awesome evening. One thing about Carolina that you'll note, I, this was the case even when we played them a month ago, but particularly in recent weeks, the rotation has really, really slimmed for them. They're basically only playing six guys, and, and, and in a way, it's like five and a half. Like they're starting five, even more so than Duke gets so much of the minutes. So it is going to be you know, a, a game of Duke's got a rotation of, of basically seven players. Carolina's operating with basically six. So um, not a lot of substitutions. As Donald pointed out, Carolina is is a pretty good rebounding team. Again, I'm looking at their uh, at their game against Virginia Tech, which is sort of their last big win. Um, Syracuse is a good win, but is not is not sort of at that at the same caliber. Uh, against Virginia Tech, they um, they won the rebounding battle, if if only slightly, and and that's going to be a, a, a key for Duke. Not a great UNC, not a great offensive rebounding team. Um, they're, they're getting up one shot and, and getting back down the floor. So, uh, that's not the, the focus there. The focus is them taking away possessions from Duke. So if Duke can get a little bit of edge on the offensive rebounding end, um, be that from Mark Williams or, or Theo John, or even Paulo Bancaro and, and AJ Griffin, I think that's going to go a long way. Yes, yeah, Sam offensive rebounding, like probably the thing that North Carolina does better than anything else on the floor is defensive rebounding. They are a great defensive rebounding team. And I, I actually think if you really look at like the stats and the way Carolina plays, the defense to me is sort of the most interesting thing about them because they, they, they sell out to get those rebounds. Like I said, they're a great defensive rebounding team, but they don't, they don't do a good job of sort of stopping you from getting the shot you want. They don't block a ton of shots. They actually, you know, one of the interesting things about them is, is teams don't shoot a lot of free throws against them, but that's not because Carolina is like playing great defense and not fouling. I think it's that Carolina doesn't do a lot to try and stop you. So they don't end up fouling you that much. They kind of let you get the shot you want. Like they're really, their, their three point field goal defense is not very good. Their two point field goal defense is really, frankly, not that good. Um, and, and like Donald mentioned, they really don't get turnovers. We're talking about a team that is 346th in the country, literally one of the bottom 10, 12 teams in the country at getting opponents turnovers. So this Carolina team just, they, I don't want to say they're not working on defense, but frankly, it feels like they're not really working that hard on defense, except to grab defensive rebounds. That's the one thing on defense that they are working to do. 
And the one guy, Jason, who yeah. is important on that end is Armando Baycott. Obviously, yes. Duke fans are going to be familiar with Armando Baycott. He's been around for a little bit and is, you know, along with Caleb Love and, and Brady Manick, kind of the um, the biggest guys on the team in terms of output. Armando Baycott's the one who's who's pulling down the most rebounds. And if you remember from the uh, from the first game against Carolina, um, Baycott got into foul trouble in the first half, which really limited UNC and gave Duke the opportunity to stretch the lead a little bit with Baycott uh, on the bench. And also on that side, Brady Manick also went off during that game, especially from beyond the arc. So uh, whoever's on him will probably have to put a buy on him and make it where those, again, those can be momentum swings and you want to make sure you limit those in this type of game. Duke's defense, I think, in recent weeks has gotten a lot better at closing out on guys on the perimeter. And so I'm curious to see if if UNC is able to feed Brady Manick as much as they were in that first game. I think that that where UNC has suffered industry, industry yeah, excuse me, UNC has suffered industry. I can't believe I can't say injuries. It's <laughs> it's injuries, not industries. They've suffered injuries uh, uh, that have limited their bench. They've won most of their games since they played Duke. But I think that that this Duke team has gotten a lot better since that win at Carolina. They suffered only the one loss against Virginia, which was right after the emotional UNC win. And and I think that Duke is in a much better place than they were in the first game. Uh, look, really quick to get into uh, sort of the matchup specifically between Duke and Carolina. Sam, you you mentioned that this Carolina team likes to take a lot of threes. Uh, Duke is, and, and, and you said Duke is good at defending the three. I mean, Duke's one of the top, like 20 teams in the country at defending the three point line and, and UNC's offense, you know, the matchup, the Duke versus UNC offensive matchup, I think very much is going to come down to how much Duke is able to control Carolina from the perimeter as much as Baycott is, you know, is really good at operating inside. I think most of their offensive production is Caleb Love, RJ Davis, and Brady Manick, you know, either taking three pointers, especially in the case of Brady Manick, uh, or or creating offense, you know, off the dribble for Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, and and those are things that I feel like Duke is really good at at stopping teams from from succeeding at. And then on the other side of the ball, I just I I have to I don't know who Brady Manick covers in this game. I don't feel you know, especially the way Paulo Bancaro has played the last week. If if we get a Paulo Bancaro that we saw against Syracuse and the Paulo Bancaro that we saw against Pittsburgh, Brady Manick can't cover that player. That's just period end of story. I imagine they will try leaky black on him. You know what I mean? Leaky black. The only thing he really does for UNC is play great defense. And, and I can, and that's what they did last time. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's probably what UNC does, but I mean, is Brady Manick, you know, is he guarding AJ Griffin in that case? You know, I just don't know. I don't know what Brady happened last time too. And yeah, that and that did not work out well. That did not work out well for UNC. So I think Carolina has some real, real major matchup problems on the de- defensive side of the floor. Also on the offensive side, this is something that I, I haven't really talked about this season, but it's going to remain pertinent for this game. The one thing that's constant about basketball is that the court is the same size in any gym that you go to, 94 feet long, 50 feet wide, right? But in Cameron, it always feels a little smaller. And because of that, teams, when they come into Cameron, play a little bit more compact because instead of being a big arena and everyone kind of being spread out and the fans kind of being a little bit further from the court and you have the court side seats and everything, everyone's right on top of you. The, the person at the very top of Cameron is closer to you than some people are in like row 10 of other, other arenas. 
And because of that, teams have a tendency to kind of pack in their offense because they don't feel like they have the space to move around. And that's where Duke really can can lock down people. Watch for UNC to try and start out by trying to spread the ball out a little bit and trying to spread the floor and trying to get their bearings a little bit. Whereas Duke won't have to do that because, of course, we play Cameron all the time. So that is going to be an interesting thing. If, if UNC tries to spread the floor out and they feel like they can't, it's really going to hamper their game because, again, when you try and pack everything in, in, in the really you know small box that is Cameron Endor Stadium with 9,314 people, and it'll probably, it's probably going to feel like 11,000 is going to be in there, packed into that gym on Saturday, they're going to have a tendency to try and squeeze everything in. And, be, and when they do that, it's going to be much easier to guard them because they won't feel like they have the tendency to move. They can't move the ball around. And that's when mistakes happen for UNC. That's when their turnovers come and Duke is going to be able to capitalize. Hey guys, let me, let me ask you all a question. Do you think it is more likely that the Duke, I mean, the Duke players, the Duke team is going to be geeked up. I mean, you're all, you're you're geeked up for a, a Carolina game anyway, but I mean, you know, this one, this one goes to 11, so to speak. <laughs> uh, this one may go to 15. In fact, uh, do you think that Duke will be so wound up that they will come out like, you know, on fire and just, you know, almost run Carolina out of the building in the first five minutes? Or is it more or is there, you know, much of a chance that Duke comes out so excited, so to speak, that, that we're not able to do the right things that sometimes you get too excited for a game? Uh, where, where where do you think? Because I have trouble thinking that it sort of falls in the middle. <laughs> I kind of think I'm going to I'm going to say, in my opinion, either Duke's going to have like an eight or ten point lead in the first five minutes or we're going to find ourselves down like six or eight points in the first five minutes. I'm not saying that's how the whole game's going to go, but I think either we're going to come out like super on fire or so wound up that we that we can't play right. Make no mistake. I don't care what Duke UNC game this is, and this is obviously one that's a little bit different than the rest. All of them feel like they start out tight. Even if games are going 15-13 by the first TV timeout, Duke-UNC games are always tight because it's one team trying to feel out the other and see what see where the weaknesses are, testing all the, testing all the walls, so to speak, if you're a Raptor, to see where the weaknesses are in, in the defense. That is, I don't expect this to be anything other than a game where everyone's so wound up that they're going to come out tight. Now, tight doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be we're, we're struggling. We can still be feel like the game is a tight game and everyone's kind of playing a little, you know, like constricted and still have a wide open scoring game. But I do think it will be tight because, again, no one wants to make the first mistake. It's just it's, it's, it's chess here. This is a, just a chess game and no one wants to make the first mistake. I think that Duke is going to take all the uh, all the momentum from recent wins where they've where they've gotten out to a big lead and and just use that as inspiration i think that that this is going to be a a game where duke is out front like jason it's the it's the first scenario duke's going to be out front by by 10 12 points within five six minutes of this game i think that the um i think that the the crowd and the hype and the story and everything is going to is going to be fuel for all of this and the and the cameron crazies and the rest of the cameron crowd are not going to let Duke be down early against a Carolina team that let's face it is going to be overwhelmed, not just by Duke's talent, but by the moment. I feel like uh, the last time, I feel like the last time that we had a comfortable, you know, a really, really comfortable wire to wire win uh, at Cameron in the Duke UNC game was probably 2010. 
and 2010 ended okay. So that's cool. I can hang. I can hang with that. <laughs> uh, I, I, by the way, I, I I do want to note that even though Duke has wrapped up the ACC regular season title, and that's a great thing. This is a super important game for Duke in terms of NCAA seating. Uh, it, it appears that Duke is, you know, right on that that line between being a number one and a number two seed. And uh, I, I feel like any loss at this point probably makes it impossible or close to impossible for us to get a one seed. And and look, I'm I'm not going to lie that a three seed is still a possibility if if bad things happen for this Duke team. Donald, while I, while I'm discussing seeding really quickly. There's something important to note about the NCAA tournament that we just found out about Duke yesterday. Tell, tell folks about that. Yeah, so I, I want to preface this because it was a story that generated from a non-story. So what happens is for the NCAA tournament, the NCAA asked every team, every single team, if they were the number one seed, overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament, what would be their preference in their road to the final four. They can pick, obviously, you know, we want to start here and then go to this region and then go to New Orleans. So for Duke, they asked Duke what that preference would be. And most people would say that, oh, your preference would be to stay close to home. And that's generally the case for most teams. So that would be for Duke, as we talked about in previous episodes, starting in Greenville, South Carolina for the first and second round, then moving to Philadelphia for the East Regional and then to New Orleans. But Duke submitted a preference that they would prefer to go to Chicago and be in the Midwest region for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight rather than Philadelphia. Now, there's a couple of reasons behind this. Jason talked about one uh, earlier this week when he mentioned that Philadelphia obviously has Villanova, and Villanova is it's possible that Villanova could end up in that region and basically playing at home, which a lot of people don't want to have. But then there's also Chicago, the fact that this is Coach K's last ride, and we'll talk about this article that came out on ESPN uh, in just a little bit, but it talks about, you know, the fact that Coach K really enjoys the fact that he's from Chicago. He has, he, he always enjoys going back, and this would be one last time for him to play at home in his real home of Chicago, Illinois. So I think that is what's going on. But the reason why I say it's a non-story is that they only posted that, and everyone has taken that to say that, oh, Duke is getting to call where they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. That is not the case. Only the number one overall seed gets this preference. After that, the other 67 teams in the tournament, their preferences get thrown in the trash. And it's just based on where they are. Uh, I don't know. They are are, for, you, are you, I don't think that's the case. I, the, the number yes, one overall seed. That is seed. the case. That was clear. It was clarified by the NCAA last night that only the overall number one seed gets the preference of where they want to go after so that, that's it is so based on location the the distinction here is that um teams could could submit where they would like to go uh, if like no matter what but then once the rest of the seating goes into place it's just based on distance from the from the campus so the correct I, I believe the way this is still working is that the the rest of the one seeds just you know the number two team gets sent to the nearest destination that is not wherever the number one seed went. And then, mm -hmm. and then the number three team goes to the nearest destination. That's not, that's the places that have already been filled and on down the line. So there is still some there weirdly, there's a benefit to being the top, whatever seed number you are. So in a way it's like, it can be better to be the top number three seed than to be the last number two seed. Cause the last number two seed, you know, if all the teams are on the East coast has to go out West or, or something like that. 
Right. And here's the, th- here's the deal though, right? Because again, this could work out in a number of different ways, but what I'm saying is the preference only becomes a factor if the overall number one seed require re- requests it, right? Because here's the deal. We are competing. If we want to go to Chicago, for example, we are competing probably Kentucky, maybe, maybe Kansas for that number one seed that would go, because again, those two teams are deemed to be closer and they would prefer to go to Chicago rather than Philadelphia. So Duke would have to be higher, or at least actually they'd have to make sure that they are lower on the scale than Duke is because Duke would get the preference first. But really what it comes down to is Gonzaga as of right now is the overall number one seed. All of these preferences that were submitted, the only one that is being taken into account right now, as of right now, is Gonzaga because they are the overall number one seed after that. It's based on location. Then why was Duke? I mean, like, not to. Why was this a story then? Yeah, why was this a story at because all? Because it's because point. it's Duke and because it's Coach K and people. And and if you saw any of the comments to you know Seth Davis's tweet, because I believe he was one of the first to uh, uh, to tweet out about it or write Thompson. I'm sorry, was, but all the tweets are basically like, oh, of course NCAA is pulling pulling everything for Coach K, but they didn't clarify that everyone in Division One submitted a, a similar preference. Yeah, Duke hasn't. Uh, for, for Duke probably hasn't been. Duke probably hasn't been uh, in the running for the number one overall seed since they lost to Virginia. Uh, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and that's so, why I said this is a non-story that became a story. Well, okay, there you have it. So glad we spent five minutes on that. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, I think that'd be great if we end up going to Chicago. I, I, I just, I'm just going to put that out into the. But into, probably as a number two seed. <laughs> probably as a number two seed. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. All right. Well, so we're going to take a quick break, folks. When we come back, there's there's a lot going on on Saturday, and we need to talk about all of it. And we need to talk about the article that has everybody buzzing, uh, Wright Thompson's story, ESPN cover story that revealed so, so, so much about Coach K as we approach the end, uh, the final game in Cameron. More on that coming up right after the break. Okay, we're back from the break, and we need to talk a little bit about just everything that's going to happen on Saturday. It's uh, it's just going to be craziness. Jeff Goodman, Jeff Goodman says that all 208 players that Coach K has coached, March 17th, 1980, that was the day Coach K was hired. On March 17th, 1980, Coach K started coaching Duke players. All 208 players that Coach K has coached have been invited back to Cameron to attend his final game. There's, there's no word, by the way, on how many of them will be there, but I've heard lots of speculation. I've heard talk that like it's going to be 75 or 80 of the players are going to be coming back. And there are plenty of, by the way, current Dukies in the NBA who have a day off on Saturday who could you know, potentially come in for the game. Jason Tatum, RJ and Cam, um, Grayson Allen, Seth Curry, those guys all have a day off on Saturday and in theory could come in for the game. You know, Donald, I'm a, let me start with you because you and I are going to be there. <laughs> the scene is just going to be bonkers. Like I, like I said earlier, um, there's 9,314 seats in Cameron and it's probably going to basically be about 11,000 people in there. This is the ticket that everyone's going to say that they were there um, and they're going to be like, yeah, I have a picture with, uh, with Shane Batty and, and 
that will be your your reference for being at this game or being at Duke. I mean, because honestly, I feel like the scene outside is going to be just as wild, right? Like I've been to a Duke UNC game and not gotten in 2010. And the scene on campus is just amazing because everyone gravitates to Duke for this game in any normal year, but especially I think Saturday, it will be the case as well. Uh, and it's, it's going to be hard to kind of take it all in. Like Duke just released the like schedule of events, essentially of what's going to be taking place inside Cameron and outside in Kville uh, slash Schwartz Butters Plaza um, or Morton Plaza, I think is what it's called now, but it, it's hey, like yo, yo, such give, a- give that to everyone. So folks know, I mean, it starts at 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have game day at 10 a.m. Like ACC Network and ESPN are going to be doing sports center shots from Kville starting tonight on as we record on Thursday. Uh, it's just a, a litany of things going on inside and outside. So, and I like this because it's for people that are going to the game. It's also for people to just come and enjoy being a part of this experience, even if they don't have a ticket. So, I, it. It is hard to put in the words what it's going to be like, so I'm not going to do that. But I think it's just one of these things where it's one of the momentous moment, like occasions in the history of basketball. And I, like, I'm just kind of, I feel especially just honored that I'm going to even be a small part of that. Yeah, Donald, to your point, uh, there will be a lot of people that uh, that claim to be at this game that, uh, that won't actually be there. I will not do that. Uh, there is probably going to be too much recorded evidence that I am definitely not in attendance for this event. But um, yeah, it's 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 going to be nuts in there. I was at that game in 2010. I've uh, been to a, a small handful of, of Duke UNC games in Cameron in my life. And and it is it, it just feels different. I know we talk about this every year before this game, but there even in a in a normal year, even in a year when Duke is just a you know prospective. Uh, number two seed heading into the NCAA tournament uh, that uh, th- th- this game generates all kinds of hype. And, and as we know, from the fact that there's going to be wall to wall coverage all day on Saturday, that ESPN is basically sending the whole, the whole staff uh, to, to Durham. Yeah, the, ne- the network's moving completely. <laughs> it's yeah, like, exactly. It's going to be crazy. They're, yeah. They're relocating everything. So I wonder, I saw that they're doing an hour of post game from, from outside of Kville. I wonder if there's a, uh, if there's a bonfire, are they going to just bring the show down to the bonfire on, <laughs> on the West campus quad? I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, uh, that would be, that'd be pretty cool to see too. We, we got a tip. We got a tip from a reader uh, from I'm sorry, from a listener that uh, 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 president number 44, uh, my cousin down the street, Barack is, is scheduled to be in the building. Um, she told me to ask him not to go because last time he was there, a shoe broke, uh, a famous shoe broke. Um, but I rest assured everyone, I have gone down the street and I've talked to uh, my neighbor and, and let him know that, you know, there, there are expectations that we have at Duke University and that he needs to just, you know, be, be himself and just kind of be cool. When he's at this game, there will be a lot of notable people in attendance who are used to being the center of attention who won't at all be the center of attention. Like it'll, it'll be, <laughs> None of them will. It's sort of a it'll be a it'll be a great place. You know, it's like going to the Oscars. I imagine I've never been to the Oscars, but I imagine when you go to the Oscars, you walk around and you're like, well, I'm famous, but everyone else around here is famous, too. So it'll be uh, it'll be easy to blend in on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, we, we talk about all the Duke players that we expect and think may be there, but. There are going to be tons of celebrities in the such and, and just, you know, people who have known famous people, important, influential people who have known Coach K or who love Duke basketball. I, I can't even. I, can you imagine what it must have been like to, to feel the ticket requests and the such for this game? 
I, I don't know how, I have no idea how they're going to be able to accommodate everyone. By the way, Coach Case, I'm sure his entire family, and, and he's got plenty of kids and grandkids and spouses, you know, it's, it's just going to be unbelievable. And, and in terms of ceremony, you're right. You know, I think ESPN and, ES, and ACC Network both plan to be um, at Cameron for the post game. There's going to be post game ceremony stuff. There's going to be pregame stuff. I believe the players specifically are, are going to have something that they do, or some of the players are going to have something they do before the game. Uh, they, they open the doors at five o'clock for a six o'clock game. I, if you don't get in there by five 15, I think you're going to start missing stuff. Uh, I, I, I have every anticipation. There's going to be just a ton going on. And then coach K is going to address the crowd in the post game. Uh, that's already been announced. Wow. It's, do we think? Do we yeah. think that uh, we're going to top the the Kyle Singler designed seventeen and zero at home T shirt that they rolled out in uh, in two thousand ten? Because that was pretty fun. Oh, they're going to have I kid, that was pretty cool. I can't. It'll be much better than that. <laughs> I, I will. I will say this: we're we're missing one thing that's normally the center of this game when it's the final game of the regular season. It's also senior night, so yeah. we're going to have those as well. Like, uh, there's a lot that's going to be like compounded upon each other. And, uh, you Joey know, Baker has to, to make a speech in the middle of this. He has to make a speech in front of all this, like, uh, and and they're gonna recognize him and in and just you know the senior managers and and those. I guys. actually like, feel bad. I feel bad. I for feel Joey awful Baker. for Joey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it it's it's one of those things where they're kind of like, oh, Joey, yes, great, clap, clap. Now, Joey, get out the way, move. Like we're here for one reason, and and I want to. I just want to say that because I want to recognize, yo, Joey, we love you. Uh, you've been here for four years. You're you're an integral part of this team, and you're gonna get your due on 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 Saturday as well. It just I don't want that to be overshadowed by everything else that's going on. All right, guys, let's let's move to it. I mean, you know, we could just sit here and talk forever about, you know, oh wow, Saturday's gonna be incredible. I think folks have gotten the point, uh, and and so I want to move on to a, a different topic very quickly, uh, maybe not that quickly. And, and that is uh, the, the ESPN cover story. There, there are a bunch of articles. Your, your, your news feed is probably being overflowed with fascinating stories about Coach K reflecting on who he is and his career and the such. But uh, Wright Thompson has written an ESPN cover story. If you have not read it yet, stop whatever you are doing right now and go read. And it's long, by the way. It's going to take you set aside 15 or 20 minutes. And, and then set aside another five minutes to go back and reread your favorite parts and, and also wipe your eyes because you, they'll, they'll, there are moments that will bring a tear to your eye. This is a, a, a significant article that Wright Thompson clearly has been working on for a long time. Unlike some other stories we've seen about Coach K lately, Wright Thompson was given unbelievable access, not just to the man, but to people around him. In fact, as, as Donald mentioned, talking about Chicago, a huge chunk of this article is where Coach K comes from, his, his roots in Chicago, in the Polish community there. Um, a, a ton is written about Coach K's best friend growing up and how they are still very connected to this day. And guys, I, I'm going to let you all talk about what you got from it a little bit. But, but first, host privilege. I'm going to go first. Because I, as I was reading it, I was just sort of writing down things that I didn't know about Mike Krzyzewski that I learned as a result of reading this article. And I want to be clear, there are plenty of times I read stories about Duke and Coach K and I go, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that about him. But this one to me just had 
so much, so much that I wasn't aware of about him. Uh, Coach K loves Las Vegas. He loves to play video poker. He loves to play bocce, not necessarily in Vegas, not gambling, but, you know, just in general. Um, every season, when the season ends, the first thing Coach K does is he, he goes to Las Vegas and hangs out at the Wynn Casino there and that he's good friends with the Wins. Um, I, I thought that was fascinating. I, the revelation that he, that, that he and Jay Billis, that their relationship went bad for a little while because of the Grayson Allen tripping stuff and, and ESPN's coverage of it, and that Coach K blamed Jay Billis for the way ESPN covered Grayson Allen, I thought was fascinating. And, and that they've since made up and they're, you know, they sat down, the two of them talked and, and everything's now fine. Um, the fact that Coach K puts the players in first and that Coach K sits in coach when they ride on an airplane. I didn't know that. The fact that Coach K eats a ton of pizza. I mean, like it made it With clear. salt on it. Yeah, right. And he puts salt as... I don't get that, by the Until way. Until his doctor said he couldn't pizza, do that anymore. On the pizza front, Jason, the other yeah. pizza detail is that apparently the, the assistant coaches in Coach K all eat pizza late night yeah. after, the, mm-hmm. after the home games. I want to know where they're getting pizza from because uh, I spent a few years living in Durham recently, and late night pizza is pretty much limited to Domino's and, and Papa John's, at least since, uh, oh, now I'm trying to remember. There was another pizza joint that was, that was on 9th Street. Um, that that closed a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, Devil's Pizzeria, yeah. No, 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 no. Devil's Pizzeria is terrible. Um, it is terrible. <laughs> that place is the worst. Um, no, th- no. The other place that was by Mad Hatter's, Donald, you're gonna remember this, and maybe Jason will too, because it's by the it's by the FedEx. But there was another pizza joint that was by the uh, by where the Mad Hatter's is, like in the shopping center. Oh, I know you're t- like Whole the, Foods. The, it's, uh, it's like the Whole Foods. I don't know the name of, of it. It started with a C, but. There were like all, all of that to say there weren't many pizza places open late night. So where is Coach K getting pizza from late night? And is he eating just like a ton of Domino's? And it's oh, 6, 8, 2, 30, 30. If so, Coach K and I have so much more in common than I realized. <laughs> all right, wait, hey, wait. The late I, night I'm, special is a late night special. I'm I'm still doing my stuff. I, I the the last stuff that I found from the article that I did not know. I I first of all I did know that Coach K. It, you know, works like an insane person, like Sam said. Uh, but I didn't know that he was watching film until they, they said routinely until like one, two, three in the morning. And and the article made it clear that, that you know, if you want to know why Coach K is retiring, he almost kills himself during the season that, you know, there's a whole section where Mickey talks about the fact that, oh, it's February. Mike's going to look terrible, that he looks awful by the time we get to this point in the season from working so hard, from stressing so much, it's time for him, Coach K to retire and get some rest. And then the last thing, all right, uh, that Coach K, after the second Virginia game, just a few weeks ago, that Coach K said, this, this current Duke team has it. And that Coach K, that that was the moment that he realized these guys can take me these guys can take me to a sixth national title. Not saying that Coach K thinks they will, but the article made it clear that Coach K has just in the past few weeks recognized that the team has come together in a way that not every team does and that they have a chance to reach the promised land. Uh, again, that's uh, tons of stuff from that, from that article. Those were, those were the things that I saw that I was like, just every single one of them was sort of a wow, I did not know that kind of thing. The stuff that stood out to me most was the Bob Knight details. And I know that some of that has, has come out in other articles recently and, and 
and productions about Coach K. But the Bob Knight stuff is is so fascinating because we know that Coach K and Bob Knight have had this um, he had this very challenging relationship for the last few decades because Knight has has you know, alternatively, like treated him like a son, but then sort of ignored him or, or, or been overtly rude to him. Um, the, the, my takeaway from that is how much coach K has reflected on that and allowed or not allowed himself to sort of succumb to all of the, um, to all the demons that, that Bob Knight did, because here at his last game, it's not like he's being, you know, unceremoniously let go. It's not like former players are turning on him, at least not in mass. I'm sure that there are some former players that don't like Coach K. No one is, no one is universally loved. But that we're talking about, you know, there being 200 former players uh, in the program and that close to half of them will be in attendance on Saturday night. That, that Coach K has really managed to keep the... The, the brotherhood, so to, so to say, I, I don't need to, to co-op their, their branding of it, but that he's managed to keep this whole thing together um, and has managed to, to keep the hurt feelings to a minimum. It really speaks to just sort of how well he's, he's developed the culture around Duke basketball. Well, it's family. I mean, like that, the thing that comes through in the article is Coach K's unabiding, that, that for Coach K, family doesn't mean only blood. It, it means, you know, the people that you are truly close to, that you trust, and who trust you and who you deeply care about. And I mean, God, the article makes it abundantly clear that Coach K's extended family um, that includes, you know, the folks he grew up with in Chicago and certainly most assuredly includes his players. I mean, there are just so many moments in there in that article that talk about how much he cares about those players. That's the most important thing in his life. And, and uh, it's it's it was just it's beautiful to read about. Uh, so for me, there's a couple of things that we did know, already know from this article. I did know about the fact that he puts the players in first class and that the play, and that the coaches sit in economy, uh, whatever flights they're taking. So I did know that. Jason, you highly you gloss over the fact that he uh, mentioned the samurai, uh, the saber story um, that has been yes. done right here on, this told podcast. on our podcast. Yes. So we already knew that too. So like, if you've been listening to this podcast for years, you would have already known that story. Um, but I, I think there's a couple of things, honestly, that really stand out. The family part I think is incredible. And you, you talked about the, the Chicago roots of it. You talked about just his, you know, his nuclear family with the love he has for Mickey and the love that Mickey has for him has if you've ever met the two, you already knew that, that that is abundantly clear from the moment you meet them. They are never like, if they're within arm's length of each other, they're, they just, you could tell the love is there in a way that very few couples ever, ever have shown publicly, but his love for his guys, he calls them my guys, right? It even extends to the fact that we, you know, we talked about this earlier in the, in the season when he fell sick during the game, right after the Amaker stuff came out, we now know that in part it was because he felt so sick to his stomach that he could have potentially harmed his relationship with Amaker over that story and that they called each other to like set, you know, set the air clear and things like that. He will go to bat for his guys, the Grayson Allen stuff with, with Jay Billis and, and just his guy versus his guy. And he's, and he's going with his current guy, like those sort of battles that he had to, to do, I think, is fascinating because a lot of coaches don't have those. A lot of coaches don't talk to the walk-ons that played for your team for three games and then 
graduated and they never and they barely recorded stats. He does. He keeps in touch with all these guys and he keeps his his brotherhood together. And I think that is an incredible feat. And it shows why so many people are trying to come back for this game. And, and lastly, I'll just say the breadth of this article. Look, I mean, yes, there's stuff that we knew. There's stuff that we did know. But just the in-depth detail that Wright Thompson went to to get this information and just to to tell this tale of Coach K's final season and the pain that he's had to go through, not just with him being sick or with him being hurt, but with all the losses that he's had to people near and dear to him or just the struggles, the battles that his friend's family are going through. And he takes that all personally. He takes everything so personally and he takes it out on the court and, and his, his passion and, of being a coach. So I think all of that was just absolutely incredible. It's, it's quite honestly, one of the best articles about a Duke basketball program that I've ever read. And it's about one man, but it really encompasses a lot of why this program has become what it is under coach K. All right. We're about to go. We've been talking. And, and I think this is not the last time that we will wax poetic <laughs> about about coach k and and the enormity of of the moment that is approaching very very fast approaching but uh before we go there is something that i I, uh, if you'd said to me a week a week and a half ago coach k is going to win acc coach of the year i would have said what are you talking about that that the acc media just they they always year after year after year refuse to recognize that coach K has produced one of the best programs um, in, in the league every single year. It's like, it's expected. And so coach K never wins ACC coach of the year. And yet I definitely get a sense. There's just more and more talk about it, that, that this season in his final season, they are going to uh, award him a prize that he probably should have won a dozen previous seasons, but, but hasn't won in a very, very, very long time. Donald, I know you want to talk more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, the greatest coach of all time has won five ACC coaches of the year and he's won three national Naismith college coaches of the year. The last zero, time he won national, zero, by, by the way, zero AP coaches of the year, which is absurd. Right. Like right. there's talk, as you heard in the broadcast the other day, there's talk that the AP is going to rename their coach of the year award, the coach K coach of the year award. And he never won coach of the year from the, he AP. never won it. They should be ashamed. <laughs> Um, I do think the ACC should do that because he, again, he's won five, but guys, the last time he won coach of the year was back in 2000. The last time he won Naismith college coach of the year was 1999. And that was because that team is, is one of Jason's favorite teams in, in the world. And it, for good reason, but for this year, there's a couple of things behind this, right? You don't want it to be viewed as a parting gift. Because that's how a lot of people, are, the, the haters, are going are, are gonna to view this. If he gets coach of the year, it's going to be because, oh, they just wanted to give it to him on his way out. He didn't really earn it. But here's the deal. In a season that Duke was slated to be one of the top teams in the country, they've not only done just that, and they've been number one in the conference, but they also have literally carried the conference all season as the lone-ranked team. The, I don't think another coach should get the benefit of saying they exceeded expectations, which is what this award has really become when they couldn't even be ranked this season. So everyone, I mean, the ACC had what three or four teams in the preseason top 25 and only one of them has stayed in the top 25 all season. And that's Duke. So I think there is some merit behind the fact that yes, 
Coach K has done the best job of any coach in the ACC because, again, he has carried the torch of the ACC. This team has carried the torch of the ACC all season long. And it's because of Duke that we're talking about four or five teams getting into the NCAA tournament from the conference. So I say give it to him, but I say that he's earned it, not that it's a parting gift. These Coach of the Year awards, for some reason, don't take into account how much of being a coach is being a recruiter. And Coach K doesn't get the credit probably that he deserves for, for being able to pull that off year after year after year. And this year, especially, whereas as Donald said, basically there's only been one reliably good team in the conference this season, and that's Duke. Uh, Duke might win this conference by multiple games in the loss column at the end of the season. So it, 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 regardless of the fact that he's retiring, only one coach has done a great job this year in the, in the conference. I think like some of them have had, you know, maybe Steve Forbes has, has brought, uh, brought Wake Forest back to the, to the cusp of being an interesting, if not really, really good national program. So what it's coach K. Well, and, and the other thing that I would add, like people forget, Oh yeah. Duke wasn't that good last year. That, frankly, we, we just weren't. We didn't make the NCAA tournament, and we probably didn't deserve to make the NCAA tournament. And there was a lot, there was, you know, a, there was a lot of turnover from last year to this year. If you said to me, oh, you're going to take a team that was middle of the ACC pack at, uh, last season, and they're going to have a lot of turnover, and then they're going to come out and be consistently the best team in the conference this year and, and win the conference potentially by two games, does that sound like a good coaching job? Uh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> of course, that's a good coaching job. And, and then the other thing I wanted to add is Duke, you know, Duke came within one point in an overtime game of being unbeaten on the road in the ACC this year. I know the conference is down, but that ain't easy to do. Duke is within nine points of being undefeated on the season against a pretty tough schedule. Those the toughest are, schedule. The, the toughest schedule in the ACC was Dukes this year, and we were running away with it. Yeah. These are not easy things to accomplish. And uh, blending in all these freshmen, I, it's look, it, it's simple to say, oh, he's got future lottery picks and first rounders and stuff like that. Of course, they're going to be good. Yeah. You know what? There are plenty of guys who are projected as future lottery picks who aren't that good in their first season. Talk to Penny Hardaway at Memphis. Penny Hardaway has two guys who are projected to be top five, top seven lottery picks on his team. And one of those guys isn't even playing all that much. And their team is struggling. They've had trouble working those guys in, mixing in the experienced guys with the young guys. Coach K does it every year with ease. Of course, he's the coach of the year. It shouldn't even be up for debate. In fact, we should be talking about this being not his first coach of the year in the ACC since since it became 2000. the 2000s yeah we should be talking about oh this is the third or fourth one he's won this decade because that's what that's what it probably should be but but yes I, I i think it is far and away past time and i agree with you it is not absolutely not a career you know parting gift it is well well earned for the job he's done this season yeah and, and just just to sum it up right it's it, again, it's become this thing where you have to be told that you're going to be terrible and then exceed expectations. Duke can never exceed expectations because everybody expects us every year to be undefeated and win the national championship. 
and at the same time recognize that they cheer every single time that we lose. And because of that, we're a terrible team and we should, and we're the worst program ever. I think people need to get out of their minds that the coach of the year has to be a team or a coach that took their team to un, unparalleled expectations because some of these expectations, quite frankly, for some of these teams are low. It's about a guessing game and you're basically ba- predicting the coach of the year based on a guessing game at the beginning of the season. How many times has the number one seed or, you know, made it to the final and won it all, the number one overall seed? Not every year. How many times has the team that's been picked to finish number one in the ACC done it? I mean, Duke has been fi- picked to finish first in the ACC how many years of this decade? Like five or six? And this is our first one since 2006. So it, it's not always – you still have to coach the games, and you still have to play the games and win the games. And Duke has been doing that for a long time under Coach K. It, it, this year is no exception. He should get this award. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to wrap it up there. We've been talking for a long time leading up to the big game on Saturday. Uh, the DBR podcast will be covering things every which way from Sunday. We're going to have a ton of podcasts coming at you. We're going to have a ton of content in the, you know, uh, in the wake of the, uh, you know, big, big, big game and big, big festivities. They're going to happen on Saturday. Donald and I will both be there. Uh, with our iPhones out recording stuff, you know, if you if you run into us, if you see us, come up and say hi, and uh, maybe we'll record a little greeting or something like that. Um, but that's going to wrap it up here for this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Again, I am Jason Evans. I want to thank Sam Klein and Donald Wine for joining me. I want to thank all of you for making this so much fun, for interacting with us. Please keep on sending us emails. Tell us what you like, what you don't like about the podcast. Ask us questions and stuff. Yeah, Donald. And if you're going to be there on Saturday, if you're one of the lucky that are going to be at the game on Saturday, email us. We're going to try. I don't know how we're going to do it, Jason, but we'll figure out a way to, to shake hands with people. Uh, and once we get our tickets, we'll find out where we are. But we will be there. If you see us and you bump into us, definitely say hello. Uh, it's going to be a magical day, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and, and by the way, that email address, like you don't know it at this point, but I'll say it anyway. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, like, and subscribe, all that other stuff. You don't need to hear it from me. We're going to roll. We will talk to you on Saturday or Sunday. I should say, um, Duke, let's go out there and send coach K out the way he deserves the way we all want to see it. One more victory over Carolina. Go devils. DBR podcast signing off. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. So, Sam, let me ask this. Um, if Donald and I are both traveling on Sunday, you know, we're, we'll record Sunday morning. Um, are you going to be cool? Uh, you can edit, right? Yeah, on Sunday, I'll be able to edit. Yeah, and I'll probably have, not probably, I will almost certainly have some audio that I record from my iPhone from being there. Like, you know, there, there may be players that I run into in the in the hallways and stuff of Cameron that I, you know, whip out my phone yeah. and, try and talk to you for a minute. So there'll probably be some of that as well. Yeah. Good deal. Donald, what's that background? Sorry, huh? I see Justin Robinson. Yes, this is from 2020. Um, this was from my uh, uh, Duke meeting last night, but I will take it off because it usually fucks up with my video. I was at that game.
I was at that game. I was not at that game. Really? You there weren't? Wait a second. The, this the, is the, the last UNC game in Cameron? I haven't been to a UNC game since I graduated, since senior year, which oh, was wow. the last game in Cameron for me. <laughs> I tried in 2010, couldn't get in. Um, so me and my best friend, we just watched in the Bryan Center at uh, Armadillo Grill, RIP. Oh, man, you, you should have called me. I uh, had an extra ticket. <laughs> I didn't know you at the time. So <laughs> we didn't know each other then. We didn't no. know each other then. <laughs> in so fact, Devil Evan, you hadn't even graduated yet. Yeah, that was that was my junior year. Yeah. Um, and I had a ticket upstairs for that game. Um, my dad had come in for it. Oh, nice. Yeah, the last time I was in Cameron was the 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 final game, the Justin Robinson game, the final yeah. game of the uh, I guess 2019-2020 season, literally days before COVID shut the world down. Right. <laughs> 